0: This is Dr. Leslie Allen in his teaching on the book of Lamentations. This is session number 13, Lamentations chapter 5, verses 8 through 16. In our previous video, we made a start on Lamentations chapter 5, and we saw how it was the climax of the book the climax of that liturgy of grief, and how at last the community respond in response to the urgings of both the mentor and that role model, Zion. And the the mentor first urged Zion to pray, and then Zion prayed not only for her own sake, but on behalf of the congregation. And then too, the mentor engaged in praying twice in chapter 3. He told of previous prayers, and he gave an explicit uh, directive to the community that it was to be their turn to pray. We've had to wait a long time, but at last the response comes, and the congregation bring their own prayer. They have learned much, and they incorporate a lot of what they mentor and Zion has been saying. And we arrive at a turning point. Not sadly, we might think, at a closure, but sometimes closure takes much longer. But here is a turning point. And though they are in as much pain as ever, objectively and uh, subjectively, they feel so much grief. And yet they can look forward. And this looking forward is expressed by their feeling that they can indulge in a prayer to God himself. A prayer that things may change for the better. We were looking at verses 1 through 7 and saying it was the first section of this uh, prayer, and we saw those cries for help in that first verse, and we saw uh, a a long section of expression of grief uh, and indeed grievance over the loss of, of freedoms that they'd been used to in the past and took as normal but now they were living in an occupied country. And it's this post-war situation that very much engrosses their mind through much of this prayer, rather than looking back in pain on what had happened before in the invasion from the Babylonians and the siege of Jerusalem for 18 long months and then the capture of, of Jerusalem. We decided that verses 1 to 7... Uh, were the first section, because of that concluding verse uh, with mention of of sin. And we said we are going to find a parallel in verse 16. But it's not the same, because in verse 7, it's looking back to the sin of the ancestors. In verse 16, it's going to be our own uh, sins that, that are the focus of attention And we said that there is a a sad tendency among some commentators to see a contrast and indeed a contradiction. Uh, That that, that, uh, now one thing is said and now quite another thing is said. And we we were trying to uh, say that this is not so. But the argument for contradiction we saw was based on Ezekiel 18.2, the resentment of those Babylonian exiles. Our forefathers sinned, Uh, and yet we're bearing their punishment instead. And superficially, it sounds a bit like it. Uh, But no, that's not so. Um, The line that's taken here, uh, which looks both at uh, preceding sin uh, in former generations and present sin in the present generation, this is very much in line with that epic history from Joshua through Kings, which traced a long history of sinning, which sadly led up to the uh, end of the northern kingdom and then the end of the southern kingdom. Uh, But along with that, there is no suggestion that the final generation were saints and uh, were quite different from their predecessors. No, they were sinners just as much. And we looked at a verse in the the Psalms which combined these, these two ideas of uh, the sin of the present generation and the sins of previous generations. And this is what uh, we saw verses 6 and 7 said. And what I want to do now is just to amplify what I was saying there uh, with uh, another um, verse from the Psalms. And it's in Psalm 106, and it's in in verse 6. So we'll just glance at that. And what does that say? Psalm 106 and verse 6. Both we and our ancestors have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. And so there's past sin and there's present sin combined into one verse. Whereas here in Lamentations 7 and 16, it's spread over two verses. And so I needed to make that clear before we go on. We move now to our second section uh, within this prayer, uh, verses 8 through 16. And it splits into uh, general harassment that the people as a whole had suffered, and then particular harassment that different groups among the people had suffered, and then an expression of general grief, and finally a confession Uh, where the present generation is concerned, which matches and parallels and is necessary after that intergenerational confession that we saw in verses 6 and 7. And uh, very much we have our three pathways, our three trajectories uh, here of uh, grievance, uh, yes, and then grief, yes, and then finally in verse 16, uh, guilt. And all this, of course, is continuing to expound that disgrace in verse 1, that subjective feeling, this, this humiliation, this secondary suffering, which, which comes and goes along with uh, objective suffering. And the general intention is still to elicit God's compassion. And it's all looking back. To, to that appeal. Remember, verse 1, don't ignore. Look and see our disgrace. And so these verses continue to have a persuasive role in defining that disgrace and so appealing to, God, to God's compassion. And largely, we, we, we have harassment. Most of this section is taken up with the harassment of, of, of grievance, the grievance that is linked with harassment. And we saw overall last time that the, the, the genre is that of a funeral lament, but a strange funeral lament which is addressed to God after that direct prayer of verse 1. And so in verse 8, we, we find this grievance. Slaves rule over us. There is no one to deliver us from their hand. And this is an occupied country. And uh, there were people, foreigners, foreign soldiers and administrators, low on the chain of command, uh, but with the power to give orders that must be obeyed. And these minor officials, they are, these are contemptuously called slaves. And there's no opportunity of lodging official complaints because they are the officials and a complaint would get them nowhere. And culturally, this is a reversal of the proper uh, social order, which we find laid out in the Old Testament in a number of passages. And uh, uh, for instance, in Proverbs chapter 30 in uh, verses 21 to, to 23. Under three things the earth trembles, and under four it cannot bear up. A slave when he becomes king a fool when glutted with food, an unloved woman when she gets a husband, and a maid when she succeeds her mistress. And in two of those cases, we have a sort of parallel to the situation here, a slave when he becomes king, a maid when she succeeds her mistress. And there's trouble on the horizon then whenever that happens, uh, complains uh, Proverbs chapter 30. And then we, we have it too, in uh, in a prophetic text, in uh, Isaiah chapter 3 uh, and verse 4, there's, there's a threat of, of punishment, and uh, part of that threat in Isaiah 3, 4, I will make boys their princes, and babes shall rule over them. Oh my, what a bad sort of rule that's going to turn out to be. Uh, but there it is, this overthrow of the of the normal social order and uh, social distinctions no, no longer uh, in, in force. And then, too, we find it in, uh, in Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 10, and uh, in, uh, in, in, in verse uh, uh, 16, Ecclesiastes 10, uh, 16, alas for you o servant when your alas for you o land when your king is a servant when your king is a uh, a servant or it may be a child the same hebrew word it can go either way alas for you o land when your king is a servant or a a, a child and in uh, in israelite culture there was very much a class distinction and very much a feeling as to what was proper and what was improper. And so here it it was an improper situation from which the people were suffering. Slaves rule over us. There's no one to deliver us from their hand. And then verse 9, another problem that the community as a whole Facing this section, it, it has us and our and uh, and and we running through it, and so we get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. What's the sword? Be- the sword in the wilderness. I think a good clue is to see how that noun is used in the Book of Jeremiah over and over again. Uh, that that book re- refers. Uh, Uh, to the sword, and uh, it's looking ahead to to the punishment that God is going to bring out about through the Babylonians. And so it seems to be a Babylonian sword that's in view. But this sword is in the wilderness, and we get our bread at the peril of our lives as a result. And the situation seems to be that, that, that families to, who lived in the, in the towns would, uh, that their fields would be outside uh, in the, uh, in the uh, open there outside the uh, towns and uh, uh, their, their crops would be there in, in their fields. But the problem was they were liable to be attacked by detachment of foreign troops marching to, the, to new assignments and that they could fall on, on them and, 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 uh, and, and harm them as, as well as take the uh, crops. And so there was this particular uh, problem there that um, you, it was risky to go out and try and harvest your fields outside the towns uh, because of the sword in the wilderness. And then verses 9 and 10 seem to go together because verse 10 seems to be uh, a consequence of what's happened, that risk. They don't want to risk it, and so they don't do it. Who's going to go out in the fields and get those crops in uh, if you're liable not to come back, but to be killed or or, or perhaps wounded? Uh, And so it follows on in verse 10, and here is a Bit of an uncertain uh, translation. We've got to uh, to look at. Our skin is black as an oven from the scorching heat of famine, and it's it's this question of being black and this question of scorching heat. Because um, if we look at the at the new international version, our skin is hot as an oven, feverish from hunger. And that does hang together very nicely. And a, a, a basic problem uh, with that verb translated to, to be black, uh, Hebrew has homonyms, as most languages do. Most de- developed languages which pick up elements from other languages and uh, uh, earlier ways of speaking uh, have homonyms. And so we can speak of, of, of the bark of a dog, And we know that's quite different from the bark of a tree. But there we are. They're homonyms, but they're quite separate words, and they mean different things. And this particular verb, yes, it could mean be black. And yes, that that would fit an an oven from burning and black deposits. Yes, that would fit all right. Uh, But over against that, there's another uh, verb that means to be hot, and uh, that is generally preferred, and so the more recent uh, NIV, more recent than the Aaron uh t- takes advantage of of, of, of of recent study. In fact, in going for, for, for heat, and so our skin is it hot as an oven, and what is this? What, what is this? This heat? Well, it's 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 physically based. It's it's uh, from fever, feverish from hunger and this this scorching heat it seems to be a reference to fever here so how do these verses hang together well farmers and their their family helping families were not going out into the fields because of the danger this military danger and so they were staying in the towns instead but there was a scarcity of food and there was famine and there was malnutrition and so uh sickness and disease came in and they 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 ended up uh with with a fever uh from this malnutrition and so um, and, and so there we are that seems to be the way that that we need to go in this um, this particular uh, verse and we see it as a consequence of of verse 9 well now uh thus far in that uh, section, 8 to uh, 10, uh, it's very much talk of general harassment uh, because this section, little section, is marked by, uh, by we and our and us uh, in verse 8, verse 9, and verse 10. But now there's a difference. Uh, we, we move to a different subsection now of particular harassment where certain groups were concerned. And we leave behind the generality that we had before of we, us, and our, and we turn again to think of, of specific groups who were suffering in this post-exilic situation of occupation, particular abuses uh, that, that were caused uh, by the occupying forces and imposed on the Judeans who'd been left behind and not exiled over to Babylon. And in verse 11, it's sexual offenses which were committed not only in Jerusalem but in the other towns of Judah as well. Women are raped in Zion, virgins in the towns of Judah. And sadly, this is often the the fate of of women uh, as an aftermath of of, uh, an area being captured and occupied by uh, foreign troops. The NIV, a little bit more more general, but with the same implication, women have been violated in Zion and virgins in the towns of, of Judah. Well, let me remind you that this is harking back to, to what the uh, mentor was talking about and what particularly upset him, you remember, uh, at, at, at the end of, of, of that little soliloquy in chapter 3. What I see brings grief to my soul because of all the, the women in my city. But, but now the, uh, in this corporate prayer, it's made plain what, what he means. The NRSV is, is, is very explicit uh, with, with its verb raped, and the Hebrew verb, it means it, but it doesn't explicitly say so. And so we're, we're on slightly better ground when the NIV says violated. But it's sexual abuse sexual assault that's meant uh, here. And the NRSV is, is, is not wrong, but perhaps a little too direct. And so um, there we are. There's this terrible experience. And uh, once again, <laughs> men who, who might protect the, 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 their women, expected to protect their women, they could do so no longer. And uh, they, they were just helpless. And so in a male-dominated society, this was uh, uh, even more troublesome than in an egalitarian society, one might say. And then in verse 12, princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. And here we are. Uh, Former Judean leaders are strung up to humiliate them This isn't a reference to uh, hanging or to execution, but they're they're strung up and their hands are tied to to some structure, to a pole or tree or something, and there they are. There's an example. Your high and mighty rulers, look at them, look at them. But it's very much a humiliation that they're strung up in, in this way, and it's done so in a gesture of mockery. And then more, more, more generally, no, no respect is shown to the elders. Uh, the city and towns generally were governed by a council of elders, and everybody w- would look up to them, not only uh, respect for the old, which was very much part of the social structure in Israel, but because they were the leaders and one looked up to them, uh, with their wisdom, their experience, and their, their wise government of what went on in the towns of a- a- affairs. And, and so, here again, there's this uh, uh, denial, this cutting across of the uh, social conventions, and uh, everything is turned upside down in this situation. And then, verse 13, and another of these uh, social uh, c- complaints young men. Uh, are forced to do uh, women's work or even slaves' work uh, where, where, where food was, w- was concerned in the first case. Young men are compelled to grind, and uh, young men did not grind. Young men did, did um, a number of good things, but they, they, they did not grind. And grinding uh, refers to uh, the daily task generally of housewives who would um, take their, their barley or wheat grains and that they would grind them in between stones wheel like stones every morning uh, to turn those grains into flour in order to make bread for, for that day. Uh, our daily bread, as the Lord's Prayer mentions, every day bread was was made because it it, it, it soon got too hard to eat. and. Uh, Bacteria could, could uh, uh, attack it. So daily bread was made. And it was the housewives who had that, that uh, role. And um, we can look at a, at a New Testament text, in, in fact, and, uh, and find that brought out. Uh, Luke 17 and verse 35, uh, it talks about a division that's to be made. There will be two women grinding meal together. One will be taken and the other left. Two women. Grinding meal together, but also we, we, we find it um, uh, in in a number of uh, uh, texts in the in the Old Testament. In forty seven, uh, we find a, a very much um, an oracle of judgment against Babylon, and Bob Babylon is as uh, is personified as a, as a queen, a queen o- over the over the empire, but the uh, the command is 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 given by God. Take the millstones and grind meal. Take the millstones, the millstones, and grind meal. And uh, this is very much a come down, uh, very much a degradation uh, for somebody of a queenly uh, rank. And and then then too we can uh, yes I I I think that those are sufficient verses for us to. To uh, look at, uh, but it, it it can also it could also be uh, uh, done by slaves. If the household was large enough, then there there, there would be slaves in the household, and they would have the, that job. Uh, if the uh, wife and husband were of high rank in, in a large house, and so we 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 find, uh, uh, for instance, that uh, in Exodus eleven. And, and and verse five, uh, when uh, when Moses passes on that verdict against Pharaoh and against Egypt, every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the female slave who is behind the handmill, and there we are. Uh, sometimes it will be slaves, but. Uh, it was not a thing that men would do. And uh, young men would very much turn up their noses at the, uh, at, at the thought that they should be uh, grinding these grains into, into flour to make bread. And so uh, it, it's regarded as very humiliating. And so social conventions uh, are, are very important in every culture. And then boys stagger under loads of wood. We had mention of, of, of wood back in verse 4. The wood we get must be bought. And you needed wood uh, to light fires so that uh, food could be cooked. Uh, and, and so there were these loads of wood, and boys were, who, who weren't really strong enough to uh, bear these, these great loads. They were forced to carry these this heavy weight beyond their physical capacity. Uh, And so uh, this, again, is a matter of of, of complaint. And so in all sorts of ways, there was this grievance against this foreign power that uh, that was uh, causing them so much uh, grief and grievance. Then 14, the old men have left the city gate, the young men, their music. Variation in the uh, NIV. The elders are gone from the city gate. The young men have stopped their music. And first we, we have to realize that uh, the inside the city gate, I think I've mentioned before, there would be a plaza, there would be a public square where people could gather and uh, on market days the farmers would bring in their produce and just inside the city gate there would be would be the marketplace, uh, and, uh, and 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 so that's the overall situation. But we've got to look a little bit more closely at that gate because it was actually a gatehouse uh, in the with the walls on either side, uh, a, a, a gatehouse with uh, with with actually gate a room with gates at either end, and the and seats provided in this. Uh, in this gatehouse. So th- that's the situation. But who was sitting in this gatehouse? In the uh, NRSV, it's, it's old men. And the advantage of that is it's a direct uh, opposite to, to, to young men. And so it seems to fit quite well. But over against that, I think there's preference to be given to the new international version. The elders are gone from the city gate. Because the city gate was especially where the council of elders would meet and they would sit day by day uh, discussing uh, affairs of the town or or city and people could come and talk to them uh, and and talk about complaints that they they might, might have that needed to be put right. And so it was the council chamber. This gatehouse was the council chamber. And we we have a an illustration of that uh, in um, in um, in Ruth the the, the the book of Ruth, uh, where uh, Boaz we we, we find uh, goes to uh, uh, to to try and get sorted out this question of redemption for uh, Ruth and uh, and her mother-in-law, and he goes to the he goes to the city gate, and he sat there near to the next of uh, kin, uh, this, this kinsman. And, uh, and that seems to be uh, a place where the elders were, would meet, and, and he, he finds him, him there. All right, and so uh, elders, this seems to be uh, the right translation here. Because they weren't officiating anymore. They weren't the officials. They'd lost their jobs. They were the the sort of ones who were being strung up, uh, these town and and city leaders, and they'd lost their their civil power. And great disrespect, again, is shown to these people. But uh, over against that, uh, the young men have left their music. In this public square... There'd be opportunity for young men to, to come together and to uh, make music for entertainment, entertaining themselves and entertaining members of the public who were there in that uh, square adjacent to the city gate. And uh, they weren't making music anymore. Well, what the, were these young men doing? Well, we've, we, we've just been told. They were, they were grinding. They were given work to do. And uh, life was all work and no play. And they they were hard at work, as in verse 13. And they got no time off. No time off. So after hours, after your working day, the young men would come and and gather and play music. You can imagine it very easily. But now that is stopped because there was no time for this. There was work to be done, said the occupying authorities. And... uh, and so uh, this normal practice had ceased. And then in verse 15, we, we come to a generalization again, and you, you, you get uh, uh, mention of, of general grief. And uh, uh, 15 and the first line of verse 16 go together, the joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. And that expression of entertainment and the joyful young men meeting and making music, it's now generalized and saying, well, nobody's happy anymore uh, in our present situation. And uh, uh, there's this uh, generalization of grief at this point. There's been grievance up to now in this section, but now there is positive grief. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. And so this grief expression, it's, uh, it's a re- reversal taking place in a sense. All those grievances were, were re- reversals, but very much with the thought of grievance. But now uh, more particularly, It's grief that's in mind. And we we might compare a psalm, a psalm of thanksgiving, Psalm 30, where uh, the uh, psalmist has been talking. He had a a crisis, but he brought the crisis to God, and the crisis has been dealt with, and he comes back uh, with a, a, a song of thanksgiving. And he's ready to bring his thank offering and worship God and praise him for what God has done. And this is summarized in verse 11 of chapter 30 in this way. You've turned my mourning into dancing. You've taken, up my, taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. And this is a further case where, where the psalms, not, not just funeral laments, but the psalms can speak of mourning behavior and mourning customs uh, in connection with their particular crisis. You've turned my mourning into dancing, taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. And he's thankful to to God. And he says, it's you, God, who delivered me from this crisis, and I'm so thankful. But we've got the reverse here. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. And then the crown has fallen from our head. Well, a few commentators say, oh, the crown? Well, that sounds royal. And we've had royal references before. Uh, part of the, uh, of, of, of the loss has been that tradition of a, of a Davidic monarchy, and now it's gone. And so that, that would fit. But, of course, we've got to look at the immediate context. And uh, the, the crown uh, is, is used in a different way here. Uh, the word is, is wider than, than a royal crown. And sometimes it can refer to a garland of flowers uh, and leaves uh, as a mark of of festivity. And uh, there's an example of this in in the book of uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 28, where the prophet is, uh, is speaking against the leaders in the northern kingdom. And he's saying there's been misrule. And uh, part of this misrule is that they spend their time at riotous parties and get drunk. And they wear these, these garlands. And the, the uh, point that Isaiah makes is that those garlands are going to fall off as a sign that um, their partying is, is going to be over. Ah, the proud garland of the drunkards of Ephraim. And the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of those bloated with rich food, of those overcoming with wine. See, the Lord has one who is mighty and strong. And so, verse 3 and 4, trampled underfoot will be the proud garland of the drunkards of Ephraim and the fading flower of its glorious beauty. And so, there it is. This seems to be the, the reference here. And so that, that garland which was uh, went along with, with festivity and went along with partying and, and rejoicing in, a, in an innocent sense and in a good sense, it's fallen from our head. The garland has fallen off. And this is a very striking way of uh, illustrating how the uh, joy of our hearts has ceased and our dancing has turned to mourning. But then, in that last, uh, last line, uh, in that last uh, uh, half line in, in verse uh, 16, uh, th- there's a, a turn from, uh, from, from grievance uh, and from grief to guilt. And we, we come back to this punchline that we had in verse 7, but now expressed in a different way. Woe to us! for we have sinned. And this guilt that comes out, very reminiscent of, of what the mentor had been saying, they must acknowledge their guilt before God, that they do so at these climactic points, verse 7 and verse 16. And what's being said here is, this is the root cause of all this suffering. Our problem is not simply foreign occupation. It's not merely a, a human problem, but we must look behind it and see this as Yahweh's punishment for Judah sinning. There's divine providence here, and we know the cause for it, and the cause is in us, in our own lives. And so this is, this is so striking, uh, this concluding reference to guilt here. Woe to us. Yeah, we're suffering. But the root cause of that suffering is our own fault. We have sinned, and so the responsibility lies with us. So there's that frank admission at at the end of all these uh, notes of grievance and and grief. We, We come to the foundation of it all, and it's a divine foundation, and it's the question of their relationship to God. And so the, the message here, the congregation has realized what the mentor have been telling them. An adequate response to post-war, the post-war situation as an adequate response to the siege situation is not just grievance and grief, but also guilt. And there's this penitential element of com- confession here. That the, the congregation are taking responsibility at this point, and this must have been wonderful for the uh, mentor to uh, hear, because we're coming back to these the matter of interpretation uh, of this catastrophe, this whole disaster. Uh, it runs all through the book, and uh, the, the mentor had so interpreted uh, back in one five and one eight. And then Zion had, come, had taken up this, this cry, this accusation, which is known to be true in 118 in 120. Zion had come back to it again in 214. The, and then we have the mentor's call to uh, repentance in chapter 3 and verses 40 through 42. And, uh, and, 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 and so as we, as, as we look there through the book, we see that this is indeed a climax. And in chapter 4 as well, we had these notes of sinister interpretation in the, in the course of the chapter. Verse 6, the chastisement of my people, says the mentor, has been greater than the punishment of Sodom. And underlying this is that Yahweh is responsible in both cases. And we we had verse 13 of chapter 4. It was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of the priests that all this fell upon the community. And, uh, and lastly, uh, there's a reference to, to punishment in verse 22 in uh, an expression of hope for the future, punishment over, punishment over. But in order for that to happen, the congregation who've been listening know full well they've got to do their part, and they have to acknowledge the sin that underlies that punishment in fact. And they, they, they do so in that intergenerational way in verses uh, 6 and 7. And now directly where we are concerned, this outright confession, woe to us, for we have sinned. Next time, we will look at the closing verses, uh, verses 17 through 22 of Lamentations 5. This is Dr. Leslie Allen in his teaching on the book of Lamentations. This is session number 13, Lamentations chapter 5, verses 8 through 16.